0: How many of you remember life when like company was something that you look forward to and how many of you resonated with, you know, that, (laughs) I mean, if there's one word to describe when your doorbell rings nowadays, it's, it's panic, right? I mean, the the only hope that you have is that it's really just the UPS guy with your package from Amazon. I mean, that's really, that's really what we want because company comes over. I mean, you just kind of, you do the panic shuffle, you know, uh, it's the one time in your life, other than when you're trying to sell your house, where you don't want people to know that you live in your house, right? It's like, uh, I'm, it's the thing we apologize for when somebody comes up, oh, I'm sorry, you know, uh, it's not usually this messy. Yeah, yes, it is. You know, uh, I'm sorry, I live here and this is where my stuff is. Now, some people, how many of you grew up in a house that was company ready? Anybody grow up in a home that was like that, where it was just always—you never knew when somebody was going to drop by—and so the house was always kept company ready. I mean, that's one of the things I—I um, I, I would say, as I'm thinking about the condition of my, like my my house and how my parents was, like my parents' house was company ready. Uh, definitely, comparatively, comparatively speaking. And I never, I never quite like I had chores and that kind of thing, but I'm not sure how my mom did it. You know, because she was definitely the orchestrator of all that. It's like. Um, I don't know, and one of my theories is that she put stuff away instead of leaving it out. And I, I'm not sure that's quite, it's kind of a slow burn there. It'll catch up to you here in a second. First service was a little bit quicker on the uptake for that one, but that's all right. Um, you know, still, still working on that and trying to, try to figure that out. There are some people that really just enjoy cleaning and organizing, but regardless, the main thing uh that we do differently when we know and expect people that that come over to our house is that we make room for them we move our stuff i mean that's that's the thing that we do is that when people that we know that we care about that we invite over into our lives we move our timetables around, we move our possessions around. It's like when somebody, you know, comes over, we don't leave the things on the couch that are normally on the couch. We pick them up so they have a place to sit. If somebody comes along and they just randomly see you at the coffee house where, you know, you have your stuff on the chairs around you so nobody else will sit there. You know, you'll, you'll actually move that stuff so they can come and sit with you. That's kind of the difference maker when it comes to how we create space in our lives for the people that we care about. And, and here's the thing when it comes to this idea that Jesus commands us to make space in our lives, to, to invite people into being our neighbors, the biggest obstacle that we face to being a neighbor is the lack of space in our lives for it. And that, that, that's the big difference maker, is Jesus is responding to this, like we talked about last week, Jesus is responding to this expert in the law who's wanting to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus affirms that it's loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as yourself. You've got to be intentional about the time that you create to live out that type of life that God has called us to. An expert in the law, I mean, he was looking for loopholes. He wanted to know, well, who, who is my neighbor, really? Like, how would you define that? Because he wanted, he was hoping that Jesus would limit his category down to only people that you really want to be around and spend time with. But Jesus says, no, it's anybody that surrounds you who's connected to your life. And part of living out this love that God calls us to is creating space in our life to be able to do it. I mean, after the parable of the Good Samaritan, this expert in law could respond to, you know, kind of some of the things that, that we might think is like, yeah, but you can't mean this literally, that you'd spend that much time on some stranger because who's got the time in their life to do that? There are rhythms of life that it seems like we're forced into a lot of times it seems like our schedule is living us rather than us living out uh, you know our lives and choosing what we do on our schedule where it doesn't seem like we have the space that we need to live this kind of loving our neighbor that jesus calls us into but we we do Uh, it's it's always fun to me to to think about how people view what life is going to be like in the future and I just want to point out one of the things that was projected back in 1967. This was on a subcommittee to the Congress about age and retirement and how work was going to play a part, a part in that. And so they had a lot of experts in the economics come and, and say, hey, if life continues kind of the way that it is now, by the time we get to 1985, which we've been there already, so we know what happens. By the time we get to 1985, life is going to be totally different because we're going to have so much more leisure time. So because of technology and because of industrialization, because of automation, you know, the, the size of the workforce, we won't need as much, but we'll be producing even more. And so people will have much more time on their hands. Dr. Juanita Krepp said, we could have by 1985, for example, a work week of 22 hours right? Just like all of us have. Or if we chose, instead, we could have a work year of 27 weeks. Sounds nice. Or retirement age, how about this? Retirement age could be 38. Well, (laughs) Easy, easy, tiny. Don't laugh too hard. (laughs) I mean... Like that would be amazing and then she in her wisdom says I realize of course that it is not likely that the economy would choose to take all of its growth potential in leisure time Our calendars and as much as technology enables us to do more things much more quickly to have more time in our schedules for other things our calendars are like these vacuums that just suck uh, things that we want to be a part of, the things that we, we choose to do in our life. like there, There's no empty spot for most of us in how we live the pace out of our lives. Uh, and for all the ways that we're able to do things faster and stay more connected, more and more people feel lonely and depressed. It's not, it's not all that helpful for us. And so when Jesus affirms that the way to inherit eternal life is by loving God with everything and loving our neighbor as ourselves, there's an expectation that we'll know to be intentional about creating space to love people in our lives. Yet It doesn't seem to be the, what we do. There are a lot of different ways to love our neighbors. We can recognize them and see them the way that God sees them. We can make sure that we make eye contact with them, shake their hands, say hello, ask them how their week is going. We can give them an encouraging word, help them, invite them into our lives, to a meal, to church, or something else. But there's one thing that you and I will need every single time when it comes to living out these neighboring relationships that Jesus calls us to live out. And it's going to take intentional time. It's going to take us creating on purpose space to be able to do this in our schedules. And so it, it may sound like Jesus, or maybe me, I'm asking you to add something else into your schedules. Now you've got to make sure you uh, add to your schedule to, to spend time with people and, and love them and, and be in relationship with them. And, uh, but, but let's be a little bit more honest about our time, right? You guys know there's an app on your phone that will tell you how much time you're spending on your phone each day? No? Because we don't want to know that. <laughs> The average American spends four hours on their phone. That's just their phone. Um, Another statistic is the average American spends 11 hours just screen time in general, watching, like any screen, watching, reading, consuming, being entertained. Not only do we have time, but the average person uses their time in such a way that undermines the type of relationship God has created us to be a part of. We're more hurried now than ever in how we consume news, food, information, and our relationships with each other. I can just like something on Facebook, and now you know that I know that you exist, and so everything must be fine. And it's making us miserable. Our rush to be less productive more quickly keeps us from the very thing that God has gifted us to experience in relationship with each other. Um, One sociologist writes this, they say, strong social relationships support mental health and that ties into better immune function, reduced stress and less cardiovascular activation. This is from Dr. Deborah Umberson, a sociologist at the University of Texas. It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he told us to spend time with each other and to love each other and to create space for that in our lives. It's not just the spiritual impact, but it's also physically, emotionally, mentally, that's, that's all impacted by how we choose to be in relationship with other people. According to the General Social Survey, the number of Americans who say they have no close friends has roughly tripled in recent decades. Zero is the common, most common response when people are asked how many confidants they have. So who, who can you go to, to to talk about your life's deepest concerns and worries and troubles or share your greatest joys? Like, who can you confide in? Most people say zero. Adult men seem to be especially bad at keeping and cultivating friendships. Well, we knew that already because we're so open and warm and inviting, right? Here's what Dr. Robin Dunbar says, says the vital friendships, the pals you hug and laugh and lament with are the ones you, who have the greatest impact on your health and happiness. And you need between three and five of them for optimal well-being. There are a lot of great thing, a lot of good things that we can choose to spend our time on. A lot of, you know, the opportunities are endless these days are the things that we can invite into our lives, the things that we can choose, choose to do. But there's only one thing that matters that fulfills the greatest command and it's spending time with other people and the foundational purpose that God has created us for. And so we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 10 this morning, right after this parable of the good Samaritan that Jesus teaches this expert in the law as a definition for, for neighboring. And this is unique to Luke. He's the only one who shares this story and this interaction that Jesus has with a couple friends Uh, Mary and Martha. You remember Mary and Martha, they're two sisters. They're sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus raises from the dead a little bit later on, before Jesus raises himself from the dead, and so he's got this connection with this family. And right after he is taught this parable, Jesus and his disciples are traveling, they stop over at Mary and Martha's house, and here's the interaction uh, Luke records for us. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, 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 the Lord answered. Really? There are more Brady Bunch fans in first service. Uh, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Situation is, at a minimum, Jesus has 12 other guys with him, they're traveling with him. And so by opening up her home to them, Martha has taken on the task of feeding them, making sure they have something to drink, a place to clean up and have a place to sleep. And so she's making all the preparation. This is not like you can go get a Chick-fil-A nugget tray, you know, and have everything taken care of. I mean, there's a lot more work and effort that will go into hosting someone. And so Mary not helping her seems to be a pretty valid concern. She's got to be, Martha's got to be pretty exasperated to interrupt Jesus in the middle of his teaching his disciples, and that's what she does. And what she asks is Jesus to make Mary just do her fair share of the work. Seems like a reasonable request, but if, if taken as one, you know, Luke wouldn't be recording the story. Instead, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to call Martha out, and us as well, for being worried about everything but the things that matter, or the one thing that matters in this case. See, it's strange that Mary left all the work to Martha, but it's also strange that Mary has placed herself at the feet of Jesus in the place of a disciple, because historically this was only reserved for men. And so Martha is looking at this from a couple of different a- angles. Mary, what what are you doing? Like, yeah, this is not your time or place to, to be here. And yet Jesus affirms that, no, not only is Mary welcome to be here, but this is the one place anybody should choose to be sitting at the feet of Jesus hearing his word taught so Jesus identifies two truths about life here the first is this much of what we devote our attention to and our fears to and our calendars to don't matter in the long run they don't carry the weight of eternal significance and there are a lot of things that I know it seems like if we don't get done or that don't happen at some point in our lifetime, it's going to feel like it has life-altering, eternal consequences. But, but most of the things that we have on our calendars, that's not true. And the second truth that Jesus identifies is that the one thing that is necessary for all to have the opportunity to experience and, should, and everything else should stop for is to experience the Word of God. And this is the thing that Mary has chosen. And the word of God has come through the life and teachings of Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so Martha ended up being concerned about completing tasks for Jesus. But Mary was concerned about being in relationship with Jesus. And she chose the better thing. And this should be the delineation in our thought process when it comes to how we think about creating space in our lives for loving our neighbors as ourselves. That the relationship that we have the opportunity to make with other people is much more important and has much more eternal significance than anything we might have on our task list. Just as it's unloving, unloving to ourselves to live our lives with no margin and no space, it's unloving to those around us to have no accessibility to us and little availability in our lives to help others. Listen to how Jesus describes God's accessibility to us in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open." Just like in Mark 12, and this sounds very similar to Jesus saying, loving God with everything, loving your neighbor as yourself. This is the golden rule. It's all tied together in summing up how God wants us to live our lives. The only way it works is to understand what it's based on. It's based on a foundation that Jesus gives that what we ought to want for ourselves and our neighbors is what God wants for us. Fred Rogers uh, wrote this he said the more i think about it the more i wonder if god and neighbor are somehow one loving god loving neighbor the same thing for me coming to recognize that god loves every neighbor is the ultimate appreciation and one of the one of the things that keeps us i think sometimes from appreciating this the way that the way that jesus wants to to understand that and this is the way to 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 have a life-giving joy-filled um, experience this side of heaven is that we've, we've been taught to love ourselves and love others in wrong ways. You know, some of us have had parents that, who thought the best way to take care of you was to keep a perfect house, you know, keep a company ready and have that men's cake that you can never have and never touch. Or maybe they thought uh, that, you know, you needed to maintain perfect grades or maybe that you need to keep a perfect physical appearance. Like those are the things that cause other people to love you. And those are the things that you were taught as a kid, that how you gained your parents' love. And what really happened is your parents missed, or whoever this influence was in your life, maybe they missed the opportunity to be there for you when those things were poor substitutes. Because that's not where our love comes from. It's not how we gain and earn love from other people, and it's certainly not how God treats us. When we needed to be cared for less about what we appear to be and more for what we're struggling to navigate, Like that's what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves, for things that are real and that matter in this life. Maybe maybe you were taught to love improperly because it was ingrained into you and into your head by someone that the identity and worth of others is found in what they accomplish and acquire. Or maybe, you know, they, this person portrayed a false sense of strength based on being distant from other people and being cynical instead of seeing people for who they are and not for who they aren't. Because Genesis 1, verse 27, says that God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That the people that we see in our lives and that surround us have innate, intrinsic value based on who God calls them, the identity that he says that they have simply because they've been created by him. And that there's no external form of identity or sense of worth that trumps that truth. And so the way that we love people, the way that we see them as as our neighbors has nothing to do with anything other than they are someone who is made and created in the image of God. And this matters because creating space in our lives to love our neighbors allows them to see and experience God. When we don't create space for that, we withhold an opportunity for them to see and experience God. And so I I just wanna, I I wanna give us two things for how to create space for loving our neighbors in this life, and the first one is this. The Word of God needs to be the foundation for how we navigate relationships. God preserves his wisdom for us in his word, and part of that, in countless places throughout scripture, we find ways in how we're meant to relate to the relationships and people we have in our life. Whether it's core familial relationships, or friendships, or work relationships, or even enemy relationships, or any kind of conflict resolution that we may may have to deal with, God gives us instruction on how to go about and, and treat those things and do those things. And one of the most disheartening things to observe and experience, at least for me, are fellow Christians who treat each other and who treat people who don't believe in Jesus yet out of ignorance in how God calls us to view and treat each other in his word. There, there's, there's so much selfishness that goes around that, that as Christ followers, we're we're putting a unique opportunity to treat people in such a radically different way that allows them to experience love in in maybe a way that they've never experienced it before. I know none of us are perfect, but we're the ones called to turn the other cheek, to show grace and mercy and love to other people for the sake of being unified with others. I mean, that, that ought to be us leading the way in that. There's so many heartaches and conflicts that could be avoided with consistency in how we apply biblical principles to relationship. So let's not neglect it, let's not be ignorant of it. Last week we talked about how Jesus at the end of all things he's gonna separate people into two groups, sheep and goat. And he's gonna look at the sheep and he say, hey, thanks for treating me in these very specific ways and people are gonna look at him and say, how, how did we know that? How did we know that we were treating you this way? And he said, as you were doing this for the least of these, you were doing it for me. And so Jesus is essentially saying the way that we treat other people is the way that we're treating him. My top ten least favorite church stories um, in a church that I worked at. Uh, I was um, I was helping someone through a very dark. They started attending the church that was helping them through a very dark period in their life, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all this, all of this kind of stuff. And started attending, and then they came to one service and they saw someone there who uh, lived near them in their neighborhood, uh, someone who's a member of that church. And they saw them and they said, hey, um, I'm not comfortable, you know, coming to the same service they're at because they're known for being a gossip and spreading discord. And I don't need them to know that I'm here and dealing with some of the things I'm dealing with because of that. That's, that's like one of those things that, I mean, that's on a fundamental basic level. That should never take place. That should never happen. We should never have that kind of reputation. We have a unique opportunity to love other people in such a way that unites and doesn't divide, and God shares that with us through his Word. So Let's not neglect it. Mary took the time, created space, interrupted her schedule to sit at the feet of Jesus to learn how to live. She chose the one necessary thing, and it's our daily choice too. And the last thing is this, is is just be interruptible in your life. Allow yourself to be interrupted by other people who need a neighbor. As far as maximizing his time for the greatest amount of impact, nobody beats Jesus. Three, three and a half years of ministry, world-selling, you know, best-selling book. Um, Like, I I think... I think as far as like maximizing his impact in life, he he knew what he was doing and how he lived out his schedule. And were there times that he was busy and he had things going on? Absolutely. Where he had to take a break and rest and pray? Certainly. But you also notice as you read through scripture that countless times Jesus is on his way to go do something and he allows himself to be interrupted by somebody who needs him. And sometimes it's somebody who needs to be healed or wants to be healed. Sometimes it's somebody who's seeking after the kingdom of God and has a question for him. Sometimes it's his enemies who come and question him who are trying to trap him. And every time Jesus takes the time to create space in his time and his schedule to answer them and pay attention to them, to touch them, to talk to them. John Ortberg writes in The Life You've Always Wanted, he says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing hurried people don't have. On a basic level, you might have a lot going on. Most of us, if we were asked each other how we're doing, at some point the word busy would come up, just because that's how we've been taught and learned and grown into how we live our lives. It doesn't have to be that way, though. And if we don't have any time for interruptions, any space created in our calendars to be interrupted by people, not only are we living life at a dangerous pace, we're actually living life at a pace in which people who are going to come into us, there are going to be opportunities for us to show the love of Jesus, and we're going to miss them. If Martha knew that her Lord and Savior wasn't going to be around much longer, do you think she would have cared how many dirty dishes were going to be left in the sink while she had company over? No. Dirty dishes are always going to be there. That's why you don't worry about them. Just rinse them off and use them the next time, right? She would have been much more happy to, you know, perfectly happy to be interrupted in her hospitality checklist if she had thought about that perspective. What good's a spotless home if you have no one to show hospitality to and to share it with? What good's a well-manicured lawn that you spend hours and hours on when you've got a neighbor who's across the street whose life is falling apart and they need somebody to spend more time with them rather than putting fertilizer out on the grass? Besides, you do that and you're going to have to mow it more. The best relationships that you have, the ones that you weren't born with and obligated to, they all started with an interruption. And maybe that's not an accident. Maybe God does that on purpose in our lives. He gives us opportunities to share his love and invite someone in to sit at the feet of Jesus to experience the word of God in their lives so that they can have the same life-giving and joy-filled and love-producing community that God's word is meant to produce in us. Creating space in your life might mean cutting something else out, but I promise you, missing a show on Netflix or not binge watching The Office and Parks and Rec for a second time, it might sound strangely specific, uh, you're you're not gonna regret that. You're not gonna regret that when it comes to using that time to show the love of Jesus to your neighbor. The opportunity to build eternity, altering relationships with the people who surround you that's always going to be time worth taking and worth making time for. And so as we prepare for this time of communion that we're going to celebrate uh, together as a church family, I, I just want to, I just want to kind of close with this and and say, it's it's St. Patrick's Day, right? I'm wearing green, so you can't pinch me. Um, but some of you, you may know because the story has been shared quite quite a bit on social media and that kind of thing. But you may know a little bit about St. Patrick, but You know, his ministry in Ireland, um, do you know how that started and how that came about? It started because he was captured and made a slave in Ireland. And after he escaped, his choice was to go learn, I'm shortening a bunch of sequences here, right? Um, Go into the ministry, essentially, essentially, and his choice was to use what he had learned about Jesus and his teaching about what it means to love God with everything and love his neighbor as a self to go back to the very people who had enslaved them to teach them what it really looks like to love their neighbor. And you think about, I mean, so many of us are wearing green today. You, know, you think about that impact, how far-reaching that kind of life is, that it changes not people's lives just for here and now, but for, for eternity. It's what Jesus calls us into. It's also what Jesus has done for us. Died on the cross for our sins. He was raised again to give us new life so that we can be reconciled to God for all eternity. So that's what we're going to celebrate as we take communion together. It's also something that we're called to model as we live our lives uh, throughout the rest of our our week. Uh, So let's uh, consider that, think on that as we pray. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be more like you and We ask that you give us clarity through your Holy Spirit in our week, how we might have opportunities to be interrupted and love others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.